Hey up and welcome to the One Up podcast, your monthly gaming fix. Uh, this month, I am hosting and I am Bash and I am joined by Andy. What up, shitheads? Ooh. Oh. Yeah, I'm <laughs> workshopping some new ones. Sorry. Alrighty. I don't think you've like seen Pecons. Nah. No, it I'm sounds out. a little I'm more done. aggressive. I don't think I'm going to use this one again. Yeah. New year, new you. Becky. Hello. Ah, uh, Jim. Hello. And this month, we are talking about. Life is strange. So what do you want? You don't know who the fuck I am. What are you doing? Get that gun away from me, psycho! No! My name is Max Caulfield. I'm 18 years old. Years ago, my family moved away and I left behind my childhood. After five years, I'm back in my hometown, Arcadia Bay, Oregon. Now I'm studying photography at Blackwell Academy, my new home. In the end, it's still high school, which kind of sucks. Then there's Chloe. Home, shit, home. But before we talk about Life is Strange, let's talk about what strange things we've been playing. (laughs) in the past month. Andy, I'm looking at you. Well, I'm sorry to disappoint you, but I haven't been playing anything weird this month. Oh no, what a shame. (laughs) Sorry, Chip, maybe next (laughs) time. What I have actually been playing is this uh, lovely little indie title called The Red Lantern. Uh, It feels really apt that it's for this month because it's a decision-based game that stars Ashley Birch, who also plays Chloe in Life is Strange. And Aloy, sorry, I just, I love her. Yes, she is amazing. It's a survival game about a woman travelling across the frozen wilderness with her sled dogs. Uh, It's got a really beautiful visual design. It's kind of like The Long Dark, if anyone's played that. It's another great survival game. You pick your sled dog team, and each dog has its own personality. Like Some might hate sharing food, some might be skittish, some might be quite aggressive, and they've got like adorable names like Barkley and Bodega and stuff. It's... And in theory, you can customise your sled team, but I did not turn any of the dogs down. I just picked the first ones I saw because I couldn't, I didn't have the heart to turn down a single doggo. <laughs> uh, so yeah, it is decision based, so periodically you have to make a call on what ter- like turns to take. If you see an animal, you can decide to follow them and observe them or hunt them for meat. And you have to take into account your dog's personalities. Like maybe bigger animals might make one of your dogs nervous or one of them might be prone to starting fights with other animals. Or maybe some, like, for instance, you follow a pair of weasels into the the (laughs) forest and one of them acts as a distraction while the other weasel tries to steal your food. It's kind of like like that. (laughs) (laughs) They're like hairy, noodle, artful dodgers, basically. uh, It does sound like us. (laughs) Yeah. <laughs> I'd picked a dog that was really territorial, so it killed the weasel to defend my oh, sled. No. But then I got some free weasel meat out of it, so, you know, it's all right. <laughs> it, it is a really lovely game. Like it's dr- It can be dramatic and That's emotional, fun. but, uh, <laughs> yeah, yeah, but well. if you don't like weasels, it's all right. <laughs> uh, but, yeah, there is also... against weasels? Well, yeah, I don't know. Some... They, they tried to rob me, it's fine. Hey, they're the bad guys in Roger Rabbit. Yes, they are. They, I feel like it was the, their ancestors. If anyone's nervous about playing the game, there is a dogs can't die mode, so don't feel like that should put you off. Uh, I haven't lost any dogs yet, but one did save me from a broken, frozen lake. I was about to drown, and the dog pulled me out, which is very nice of it. I I think we should petition for all dog-featuring games to have a dogs-don't-die mode. (laughs) Yes, I feel like that. 
and you can pet life. them all as well. It's nice. Yeah. <laughs> it's it's out on a PC and Switch if anyone's interested. By the way, yeah, I, I strongly recommend it. Well, I'd like to applaud you for getting through that without saying anything bizarre and weird. Because even when you said "wonderful, lovely little indie game," I was like, "Yeah, all right." Yeah, <laughs> here we go. I, I heard like, the doubt in your voice. Breastfed yeah. by your mum coming in or something. Like, what is <laughs> it going to be? Brace. <laughs> well, Chip, have you got anything weird to bring us? Strange. <laughs> well, not strange or weird, but uh, something that Andy may not enjoy. Oh no! <laughs> oh, no. You fucking cunt. <laughs> Yeah, I've been playing Assassin's Creed Odyssey again. <laughs> I quit. <laughs> oh, oh, it's going to get worse because I was playing Death Stranding, but I just realised that I really, really didn't like it at all. So I stopped. I already knew that part. That's yeah, not I the disappointing know, but... part in this. I understand people not liking Death Stranding. Okay. I don't understand yeah, people liking Assassin's Creed. Well, I <laughs> really like it and i'm having such a lovely time but i do have some good news for you andy in that i'm actually on the last chapter of it but but then so just have 100 hours to go then does it actually end hang on the thing is it is the last chapter but i still haven't done all the side stuff have you not killed the boar yet no so there's going to be it's going to go on for a little bit longer i'm just saying but uh yeah it's been a while since i played it and as soon as I kind of, because I, I got this at Christmas because I was like, I'm working Christmas, so I want to treat, well, you guys treated me to a new video game and I'm really sorry that I ended up not liking that. I want we my won't money hold back. it against you much, don't thank, thank you, thank you. Uh, but yeah, I had a really good time going back to Assassin's Creed because it's been a while since I've played it and I had a lovely time. I'm really sorry, Andy. <laughs> well, you will be. Say, say you had a lovely time a few more times. I had a lovely time. He's really trying to like... <laughs> Soften this. <laughs> it made me happy and brought me great joy. I don't care. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know what you expected that Chip. Yeah, same. I don't know. I'm trying. Becky, have you noticed that Chip is often trying to appeal to Andy? I have noticed this, yeah. Oh, is this like a bromance thing or like a weird like rivalry thing? I don't know. Oh, I think it's because I see him as like a substitute father. It might be that. Oh, okay, weird daddy issues. <laughs> oh, cool. Yeah. No. But I'm okay, not getting in the shower with him, don't worry. <laughs> Good. Let's nip that in the bud. It's not a very good podcast. Becky, what have you been playing? <sighs> Every like I one day I'm gonna request to go first because then I don't have to follow these two chuckle fucks. Um, <laughs> uh, uh, uh. <laughs> so um I've been playing two things mainly. So I've been playing Dragon Age Inquisition again. Because nice. I just had a yen after my Kingdoms of Amala re-reckoning mystery colon placement game for another fantasy RPG. So I've been playing that and romancing my lovely sad himbo Cullen again. <laughs> and also I've been playing It Takes Two with a friend, um, which is so much fun. I really recommend it to anyone who who's wants to co-op gaming experience. Like it's absolutely wild and like weirdly dark in places. Like it's really blackly comic. But we had so much fun, we didn't stop laughing. There was a whole bit with like throwing hammers and nails in a platformer style section that went very wrong. But it was great fun. So yeah. Did did the person you were playing with actually try to help you though? See, I played this with my partner. I'll start playing this with my partner. That was your first thing. mistake. And as a side note, there was a, uh, to be fair, genuinely we were like really cocky, like we're we're a great team, and we generally are. But with the hammers and nails section, there was a moment where it was like, he could have been helpful. And just one time he had to not be. (laughs) 
and that was enough to just be like i will get my revenge at some point it is as you said though like comically dark but also like super fucking dark in places yeah yeah like we were like it looks like it would be a game you could play with your kids, but it's absolutely no, not. No, no. Oh dear. I think, so we made I am it... playing it with a kid. <laughs> Good luck. That's we made me. it to. Um, we got to the tree, and we're in the tree house, so we haven't finished it yet. But yeah, like the, there's a, just a few bits where you're just like, Jesus Christ! Especially as a child of divorced parents, <laughs> it's just like, <laughs> oh my god. <laughs> but yeah. So, but I do recommend even forgetting the emotional sides of it. it the bit that sort of got us was all the impalings. Yes, so many impalings. Like, that just threw us. Yeah. yeah. Oddly dark. I really want to play it. I, I guess I'm the only one who hasn't played it, but I just need to find a friend who will play it with me. Oh, Chip, I would play it with you. It would be glorious. Oh, God, can you stream it on our new Twitch channel? Please, <laughs> I need to see the two of you attempt to work oh, as a team. Salivating at the idea of upsetting you in that game. And now we have a, t- a Twitch channel, so plug please play that game (laughs) on our twitch maybe maybe definitely (laughs) oh my god so i guess that leaves me for what i've been playing originally i actually played some different games that weren't final fantasy 14 (gasps) oh my god completed some as well on the basis of i was gonna like the next episode i'm gonna have something different to talk about you know so i like did coffee talk (laughs) and i did spirit fairer which i had to delete so it couldn't hurt me anymore and when i finished it and um, I played a number of other games, started a couple of things, was like, I'm going to come to this with something different to talk about. And then I finished Endwalker, and I really need to talk about it. <laughs> Shock. But it does mean that that might be the end of me talking about Final Fantasy fourteen, uh, at least for a good while, as something. Because now I will just play it, but it's going to be obviously very casual, um, and probably things like gathering and levelling up other things. But... What I did want to say was, um, Endwalker is the end of the overarching Hydaelyn Zodiac story that started with A Realm Reborn. Well, it actually really started with version one, but obviously that doesn't exist anymore. All I can say is, I put 500 hours into that story. I put 500 hours into that character, my, you know, original character, my, 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 my warrior of light. And it really felt like so personal by the end i'm not going to talk about the story at all i don't want to give anything away at all for anyone who does want to play it if you can get through a realm reborn the expansions are all just so wonderfully put together and the ending it is an end it's absolutely an end they're going in a completely different direction for their next um, major expansion they've already sort of confirmed that and it's just there's something about in those last hours doing those last dungeons and you can do the last dungeons on what on the trust system which is where you do them with the npcs rather than you know with other people and there's one trial that you can do with the npcs which you're never normally able to do trials with anyone and if you do it with them they're constantly like throwing out their like words of encouragement and you know expressing how they have faith in you and like that you can do it and the whole overarching story is about sort of overcoming trials and and challenges and sort of never losing hope and and the power of endurance and and you know how we all endure all this shit and i feel like i'm already breaking up talking about it because i can't think about it without thinking about how important this game has become to me and how perfect that ending felt and how 
it just became so meaningful in such a short space of time. I say a short space of time, but 500 hours. It's not that short space of time. <laughs> but yeah, I can't... I just... I had to. I had to talk about it because there's something about it. And obviously, I'm, I'm, I'm restarting it from the beginning again because I think the end means that some of the early stuff is going to mean more now. But yeah, just holy shit, what a fucking game. <laughs> there's a reason it's just become like my absolute favourite game. And that experience and I cried my entire way through like the last few hours of it it just felt like a thing it was so cathartic and beautiful and that I am done <laughs> you can go resume to calling me a weeb or whatever you want to do like, I was actually just going to say how lovely it is to hear you talk about something like that compared to the rest of us it's lovely I'm glad yeah, you had the it, experience of it there's a meaningful connection between you and that game and that's really nice and like Chip an Assassin's Creed, <laughs> which I feel is just antagonistic at this point. <laughs> uh, yeah, kinda. Mm-hmm. Well, good. I'm like I say, I know that I've waxed lyrical about it, and I know that it has become like a source of jokes of you know my transformation of being like a little bit weeby to just like full weeby. Have and- you got a body pillow yet? No, it's not they- in stock currently. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> so, oh I was going to try and use that to help you, but no, you're on your own. Okay, so from one very emotional response to a game to another very emotional response to a game. Square nice Enix And thank you. Square Enix and Don't Nods, uh, Life is Strange. Life is Strange itself is an episodic graphic adventure, basically. Uh, it's five episodes. Uh, the first instalment was released in 2015, and the the following ones came sort of throughout then. And one of the reasons sort we decided to discuss this now and this month was a it's just a game that I really wanted to talk about when we first started this podcast. I was like, I really want to talk about Life is Strange at some point, um, and also talk about good timing. They are currently um, taking pre-orders for the remastered collection at the point at which this episode comes out though that will also be out so it seemed like a really good opportunity to talk about a game that means a shed load to me and i know it also means a shed load to chip yes. at the very least however i and very last minute put andy on the spot as our resident gaming historian <laughs> and he's smashed it i know already from us talking just this afternoon on um just the very sort of brief history of interactive story games. So handing over to you, Andy. Oh, thank you. So um, the history of the decision-based graphic adventure style thing, it starts with the humble paperback book, uh, 1976's uh, Sugarcane Island, which was the first ever choose-your-own-adventure book, which would like usher in a whole new literary genre and... Uh, did actually did anyone have these books? I did anyone like these yes. books? I loved Choose Your Own Adventure books. I had so many. <laughs> yeah, I, I adore those books. I, I re- very distinctly remember having a Mario Brothers one, uh, Double Trouble. <laughs> I, I, that, the book cover for that is like lives rent free in my head forever. I, loved I it. had um, loads of fantasy ones. There was one that was like a Dungeons and Dragons type crawl, which is probably why I was always interested in playing the game after that. But yeah, I loved them. I had uh, the one that sticks out most in my mind. And because I, I was one of those where I read it so many times that I knew all the different endings and things, was a pirate swan, <laughs> for some reason. It was just like, there was something about it that just really captured me. 
in that sort of choose your own adventure and it definitely set me off on that but it's the pirates one i can't remember the name of it and i have occasionally googled and i can't find it like specifically so it's just lost to me now but yeah pirates <laughs> as a quick side note we should absolutely find that mario choose your own adventure book and play it on stream <laughs> that's a good yes. idea i like that so the choose your own adventure books ushered in a new form of interactive entertainment and the computer game also got in on the fun with the advent of the text adventure with colossal cave adventure which was also released in 1976 of course like both of these genres uh, they owed a lot to dungeons and dragons but they had a more streamlined approach than that classic RPG. The text adventure would go on to have a lot of success over the next couple of years, but for those who need a bit of help uh, stuck in the old imagination, graphics would eventually be added with 1980's Mystery House, which uh, would make for a complete overhaul in how adventure games functioned, and it became popularised by King's Quests, uh, I think that came out in 1984, and that was a really successful graphic adventure series and it got a spin-off called police quest as well in 1987 these were still text-based inputs but uh you could move the character around now between scenes so you had a bit more of control this would change completely with the arrival of the computer mouse uh, which ushered in the point and click adventure uh, this started with fairly rough roots with enchanted scepters in 1984 which was advertised as a text graphic sound adventure because there was a time in history where having sound was a legitimate selling point. <laughs> Arm sold. Yeah, it, it's, the box was so encouraging, yeah. Big letters. So yeah, the point-and-click adventure would like boom in popularity with the re- release of uh, LucasArts' uh, Man- Maniac Mansion in 1987, and that introduced the classic uh, verb-object interface that became really commonplace in the genre at that point. It took uh, the King's Quest series, like the OG of the genre, uh, until 1990 to adopt this style with King's Quest V. Um, in that time, uh, LucasArts produced a lot of classic titles, including The Secret of Monkey Island, which be- would become the uh, standard bearer of the genre. They had an incredible run of hits following this, with Monkey Island 2, Indiana Jones and the Fate of Atlantis, Day of the Tentacle, and Sam and Max Hit the Road. Hey. Yeah, I- I'm glad we've got another fan here. I love Sam and Max. <laughs> By the late 90s, the genre was starting to lose a bit of its luster. Uh, Full Throttle, The Dig, and even Curse of Monkey Island were starting to suffer from a decline in popularity. And by the time uh, Grim Fandango and Escape from Monkey Island hit, sales indicated that people were pretty much done with the genre at this point. Uh, The gaming landscape had obviously changed massively with the arrival of the PlayStation. Uh, And while that platform did try to accommodate fans of the genre with high-profile releases of games like Discworld and Broken Sword people were generally looking for different avenues for their interactive thrills now. So the genre sat in an awkward sort of limbo until 2005 when David Cage's Fahrenheit slash Indigo <laughs> Prophecy was released. I knew Chip would like that. Oh, just his name is such a trigger yeah. for me now. <laughs> <laughs> so that, yeah, that game initially lured me in with all the excitement of me to hide a dead body from the police, but <laughs> I don't know why I wrote that. Uh, you know, it would I'm end so, up. I've never played Assassin's Creed again. I'm sorry. Yeah, you fucking. I know it's things now. The most Andy sentence ever. <laughs> yeah, so it pulled me in there, and then it completely lost me when it started introducing cultists and giant insects and fucking, I don't know, dance dance revolution style control schemes. It's bizarre. But like it, it's it kind of ushered in the return of that style of game. 
Uh, between 2006 and uh, 2010, Telltale Games started to do their part in reviving the graphic adventure with a spin on classic properties like Sam and Max and Monkey Island, while also adding popular IPs Back to the Future and Jurassic Park. Uh, Telltale firmly established an updated game style for the genre and uh, really committed to the episodic release format. These things would become very commonplace as the genre moved on, like the standard. Uh, but none of these games really proved to be the breakout hits. Uh, they were just successful enough to keep the studio going. Although there was a notable hit within the genre during this time period, and it was the Nancy Drew series, which had a whopping 23 titles released between 1998 and 2010, and was still releasing games up until 2019. 2010 saw uh, Quantic Dream return with uh, Heavy Rain, which was a huge hit for them. So everyone press X for Jason right now. <laughs> Uh, in 2012, Telltale found their first major hit with The Walking Dead, which garnered them multiple Game of the Year awards and emotionally scarred a whole generation of Let's Play YouTubers. <laughs> so this renewal and in interest in the genre saw a big run of games from Telltale. They were latching onto a lot of big uh, popular franchises like um, The Wolf Among Us, Tales of Borderlands, Game of Thrones and Minecraft. Uh, but the genre was still having a rough time selling to a lot of developers and publishers. Uh, in 2012, Tim Schafer, a LucasArts legend, said, If I was to go to a publisher right now and pitch an adventure game, they'd laugh in my face. Which brings us to 2015, when a studio made up of ex-Criterion Games, Ubisoft and Electronic Arts developers called Don't Nod teamed up with Square Enix to release Life is Strange. And release it they did, as we know. Thank you. Just to add to that, and when they, when Square Enix took on Life is Strange, the sort of the creators of that game, they talk about in some of the in some of the journals and stuff that they released as they were developing, that Square Enix were the only studio who were open to a female protagonist. I wish that wasn't surprising. I yeah, wish that, no, so I wish been... that was surprising. That's what I mean. Yes. They they got declined from a number of studios for pitching the game, but they were adamant that it needed to be a female protagonist. And Square were the only ones to take them on. So forgetting their current potential dip into the NFT foray, but then what what large company isn't bloody? Considering that absolute nonsense, it just greater brings my love personally of Square and their games, you know, aside from obviously releasing... Final Fantasy fourteen and having Yoshi P, who we stan heavily <laughs> in these parts. Uh, they obviously also uh, publish Nia, which is another one of my favourite games, and then this one. But also to hear that they took that chance back in 20... Uh, you know, I guess at the point this will have been pitched, it won't have been when it was released in 2015. It'll have been around that time that Tim Schafer was saying they're having a real trouble pitching these kind of games at all to games companies, especially Western games companies so yeah they they're a studio that are clearly willing to take more chances in that respect yeah 20 like 2014 was around the time gamergate happened as well so it was a very like just the entire concept of women existing in games was like <laughs> apparently a political <laughs> minefield so it was even more ballsy of them to say you know fuck this we, we, we want a female protagonist and square Enix going yeah let's go for it uh, yeah and that's only seven years ago it's insane yeah <laughs> Yeah, absolutely. Uh, this industry. <laughs> it has come on, leaps and bounds, obviously. Mm. 
But yeah, it is kind of staggering when you actually take that step back for a second and go, oh, this was only like seven, eight years ago. That's not long. But if I cast my mind back, you kind of go, yeah, there weren't that many female protagonists in games being released by major studios. Nope. You always had a male protagonist, even if you had a female one, like, with them. There's always the choice to be a male in a game. Who is left? Looking at you. Prior to this. (laughs) Well, women, female characters are just so hard to animate, you guys. Like, they've got the boobs and the boobs... Did and we emotions. Boobs? Becky is still traumatised by the Lara Croft episode. So, <laughs> so traumatised. So, so life is strange then. It's set in the fictional town of Arcadia Bay and it's told from the perspective of Maxine Caulfield, also known as Max, who is a student who's attending um, Blackwell Academy. It's just a, a, a random school, I guess. And... She is there to do a photography course. We learn throughout the game that her photography teacher is is just a right badden. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you could say that. Can't yeah, you? yeah, you could say yeah, that. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I really wish you'd written the police report over that. <laughs> <laughs> a right badden. <laughs> There's, you meet some of her classmates throughout, you know, there's like the, the classic jock bully type and Nathan Prescott, who's also, you know, spoiler, the rich kid, oh, it's less spoiler, but it's more just unsurprisingly the rich kid <laughs> feels like, you know, if you're creating the bully jock type, they're also the rich kid somehow. There's also the very snotty Victoria, who sort of seems to see Max as her photography class rival somehow and it's just a bit of a b word i don't like that word when it's used so gender specifically but like (laughs) like she is just real mean she's a boob classic mean girl i guess she's a real bastard there is a character called kate who is um there's a whole storyline of hers that involves her being bullied after you know she's I, i think basically it's essentially um, you know, that she's roofied and videoed, you know, at a party and it's just students being absolute shitbags about it. And then also there is Chloe, who we have also Yay. already mentioned. Chloe just needs protecting at all costs. I just want her to be okay. Chloe is like the blue-haired, cool chick who has been suspended from Blackwell many times. And uh, Chloe and Max sort of already had a friendship uh, some time ago Max left and then came back and there's sort of elements of them resuming that friendship depending on how you play it there's also like a developing like romantic plot there um, a lot of it this game and I think it's enduring legacy generally hinges on Max and Chloe and their relationship so with that all said <laughs> I think that's um, a pretty good summarization of the general plot without going into anything too specific as it is. What are some of your standout moments from within the overarching story? As I said, told over the five episodes, I guess we might have all had different outcomes to certain things as well, because I I probably didn't mention that well enough, but of course it is a decision-based game. Everything you do has consequences and everyone can play a different game. (laughs) Yeah, especially the part where you water the plant. (laughs) Uh, so I will... I'm going to come to you first, Chip. Okay. 
it's kind of hard for me to pick a standout moment, I think, or at least some of them, because I just adore this game, uh, as you mentioned at the start. You know, I think maybe one of the first things we ever bonded over, or one of the rare things that we ever bond over, <laughs> is uh, <laughs> Life is Strange, um, because we're both such big fans. Yeah, this, this game had a big impact on me. I think one of the driving things about it is is Chloe. Like, I think she's just one of the best characters, uh, one of my favourite I mean, she is a protagonist in this game, I'd say, you know, even though you don't play as her in this one. She, I just, I just want Chloe to be okay at all times. <laughs> and yeah. the amount of absolute shit that she goes through in this game, like, you know, she's, you know, her dad's already dead at the start, then she's shot. Then she gets shot again. Then she's nearly run over by a train. Then she's paralyzed. <laughs> then you kill her dad again. And then she gets <laughs> shot in the head. So <laughs> a large part of this game was just like, oh my God. Like, And you know, you do that through Max as well. It's like, I have to keep Chloe safe. And I know when we eventually discuss how we uh, decided things in the end of the game, we'll probably have a discussion there as well. But uh, for me, Chloe is one of my favorite gaming characters. I, I'd yeah. like to say, I think Max is a really great choice for the playable character in this game because her personality is initially quite passive at the start of the game and to make like decision-based games click the protagonist can't be too strong willed of a personality uh, you couldn't have a character like ellie or kratos in this sort of game it wouldn't work <laughs> no i want a remake with kratos as the protagonist <laughs> of this <Boy>. game <laughs> chloe <laughs> He'd, he'd sort some of these fuckers out, that's for sure. But yeah, like say like Connor in Detroit Become Human is an ideal choice because he is a blank slate by design. So there needs to be some space for you to imprint your own personality or values onto the character. And I think Max was a really good choice for that. And Chloe is a great choice for a co-star because she is that forceful personality. And she challenges Max and, and the player to make choices. And in your first playthrough... You may be questioning whether those are good choices because she is quite an unpredictable element and it's as the game goes on you begin to bond with her more and more and you become more comfortable with the choices you're making it's just a really well considered choice of two characters for this sort of game i, I was really i was very very happy with the choices they made there and, and becky you played this quite relatively recently for the first time yeah um rather than say sort of at the time it came out and I know that your sort of emotional connection to this wasn't perhaps the same as, like, say, Man and Chips. No. Is, was there anything that stood out for you? I, I think, uh, um, so I didn't, I sort of dabbled in the romantic angle a little bit, like, in some of the choices. But mostly, like, I stayed in the realms of friendship because it was really nice to have a friendship between two female characters that wasn't, it didn't feel forced by the story, the scenario, like you, you felt like you could, you had just sort of wandered into these two friends, like picking up where they left off. And I think female friendship is such a, a weird thing that games, movies, books, you know, they can't necessarily always foresee it as a positive one. There's always got to be an element of toxicity there. And there wasn't really with Chloe and Max, um, which I really liked. That's what I latched onto more than anything was that ultimately you know, the decisions you're making, you're making for your friend slash love interest. And it, there's no, like, there's none of that, like, toxic rivalry that overrides it, or there's no boy getting in the way, you know, all of those sort of things that you usually get in teenage female friendship stories. So that's kind of what I latched onto there. Yeah, I agree with Becky, like, a million percent there. Like, especially with my first playthrough, it's, it's going to be slightly difficult to... I'd have to kind of separate my two playthroughs of this, because... 
obviously I played this game about five years ago and I made my decisions then. And then when I played it this time, I kind of tried to do things a little bit different in places. But definitely first time around is, yeah, exactly what Becky said. It's like, I, I like seeing friendships in media over romances a lot of the time because every piece of media has romances but it's rare that you get kind of that tight bond between friends and best friends and I really wanted to see how the friend relationship would play out and not just with Chloe as well you know because you kind of have an option to romance Warren which is another character um Mm. didn't do that first time either because I was like no we're just buddies and I want to see how these friendships play out on screen and I like that the romance wasn't forced on you as well your decisions could impact your relationships with those characters yeah, I played the friend angle with Warren as well because I was like, no, she will not have a relationship. <laughs> <laughs> I will have a robots free zone, please. Like my life, it's... as was. <laughs> <laughs> it's an it's it's really interesting from that perspective to me because that particular aspect of whether you chose to be friends with Chloe and friends with Warren or take a romantic subplot is entirely in the gamers realm it's their story it becomes you you Mm. literally get to choose and i think there are lots of examples of choice-based games where you don't actually necessarily feel like you have a choice but this was certainly one because we've had very different experiences of the same game the game itself speaking as a queer speaking as the resident queer (laughs) on the podcast (laughs) 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 resident queer (laughs) this is one of the first games i remember notably having authentic queer representation i know there's been others even before this and certainly since but i feel like this just has such a huge platform versus many of those and you know the series as a whole has always been quite highly praised within the queer community uh because of it constantly having quite authentic representations of queerness i know that certainly for me um, it took me back to sort of my high school days and things and sort of rethinking, you know, some of the feelings that I had that I buried at the time and things. It was really nice to, I guess in a way, there's an element of wish fulfillment, but to experience, you know, that idea of what teenage me would have wanted, <laughs> you know? Hmm. I've talked about this on Twitter. My first kiss was with a girl, but then it had to be kept to a secret and we went to Catholic school and, you know, um, it was then treated like it was this really embarrassing thing and uh, would never progress beyond, you know, my first kiss being with a girl. Um, like, you know, proper kissing, I mean. And so, like, <laughs> yeah, there's definitely that element of, like, looking back and thinking, getting to play out this idea of just this really sweet, and gorgeous relationship between Chloe and Max. It It's never played for, like, raunchiness, I guess. But yeah. You know what I mean? It's never played as, like, a voyeuristic or... I can't think of any of the right words right now, but you know what I mean? It's never played in that sort of lewd way or anything like that. Or, like, it, it just... It always felt really authentic and really sweet. And I'm absolutely certain a lot of queer people's experiences or experiences they wish they'd had the opportunity to have in their teens. I have a lot of love for it, certainly from that perspective. Like, my feelings about Max and Chloe do very much come from that sort of more romantic element and just absolutely adoring their relationship together. But it's really nice to hear that, you know, you had a different experience and you really adored them as just being two female friends. Yeah. And I think, like, and having, like, a male friendship 
male and female friendship that wasn't sex or like crushes or anything as well like if you didn't want it to be i think that you know male and female friendships are still so rare as well in media just healthy friendships like more of them please i think it's one of the game's strong points as well is that it has that appeal across the board you know i'm a dumb cis white male so everything <laughs> is made for me but like it, I, I still got a lot out oh, of white. this game <laughs> yeah sorry to spoil that even though you know we've seen each other in real life but um <laughs> <laughs> it's just like Spoilers. I love that it has that appeal to many different people from many different backgrounds and yeah I think it's and your decisions affecting how that your story plays out uh, I think it's one of the things the game does really well yeah and it's one of the few narrative choice games I've played where it didn't feel like you were completely mapped out like I know with some like I adore the Telltale games particularly the Batman ones but because you're already playing as Bruce Wayne slash Batman that kind of colours your interaction with the game and you know dramatic irony comes into play in a way that it didn't hear because i had no idea at the story i knew there was going to be something big at the end uh, but that was about it and it felt like very much you could certainly in terms of the relationships not necessarily i i have criticisms about the story like in the wide in the wider yeah. narrative but certainly with max and chloe in particular it didn't feel like you were being sent down one of two paths which is, it's nice. It's nice when a game feels open. I, I'm with Becky on that. The, um, not I've got issues with the story, like the plotting, but the character beats always felt very authentic and earned, which like mm. is very hard to do. Apparently, it's a lot harder to do a really strong relationship in writing than it is to write a really good story. And at least they got one of them right, I'll say. <laughs> So I was about to say that kind of leads really nicely into more of the story and I guess it, how that impacts the gameplay. So we're going to start hitting some real spoiler territory. We will do another warning before we talk about the very final decision for you to skip if you do want to play this game because the final decision is a biggie. But, you know, before that, if we start getting into some of that more nitty gritty stuff on the story and like I say how that interacts with the gameplay so one of the key things within this game is that max can reverse time so for me it it introduces this really interesting juxtaposition of the idea of a choice-based game because to me it's less about the choices you make and more about the consequences you're willing to live with yeah that's a really good way of phrasing it because you get to, obviously, every decision you make, every conversation you have, and if you were like me and was really, really into it, the more I got into the mystery, and mystery I use a little lightly, but <laughs> the more I got into, you know, the overarching, like, finding out who killed Rachel element, which just feels so Twin Peaksy, doesn't it? About, like, with the Lara Palmer stuff, but... <laughs> oh, there's many Twin Peaks references in this. There is, there is. Yeah, <laughs> But, like, I found myself almost every conversation, any of the major decisions, that I, I'd, I'd rewind time and do the other one. And then you got to pick which one you actually wanted to do. So it really did become, like, like I say, it's, it, it always felt like a game, to me, it's very much about consequences, but it's about the consequences you're willing to live with, rather than consequences specifically of your decisions. And I thought it was just such a interesting way of playing out a story even if the story itself has some real trash moments 
Well, unsurprisingly, I'm with you on that. <laughs> I, uh, I really like the rewind uh, time as a gimmick because when you look at something like like The Walking Dead, which is another game series that I love, and there's very much a, that thing where you have to make a decision and you don't know what the consequences are going to be and you might think that, oh, if I say this thing, it will mean this and then it just means something entirely different. And you're like, well, fuck, wish I'd have done that. <laughs> uh, but I really like that you can, like you said, is, you know, listen to both outcomes of your decision and then then have to decide you know what it is you're going to live with and how that works and i especially like how max learns she can rewind time within about five seconds of the game it's just like okay cool guess i'll just accept that then that's fine yeah there's no like oh there's a weird science experiment it's just like ta-da <laughs> it's interesting you say like because i found i used the time mechanic less as the game went on i think like it, the novelty of it at first and yes playing out all the different scenarios and picking them but I found, like, as the game went on, I got sort of more sure of kind of the decisions I wanted to take as Max. Mm. And yeah. I used it a lot less, even if those decisions later backfired. Yeah, it was weird. I just sort of stopped using it so much. I, I yeah, I like the way it integrated the superhero young adult style drama together. Any good superhero story is kind of what the superpowers even they have to have some kind of thematic or allegorical value to the lead character. And I liked the way that they used the time mechanic to kind of toy with our relationships with regret. Mm. Um, It's like you can feel it in the moment and wish you could take something back. And like Max can, but you can't really know the deep regrets until you're way too past the moment of no return. Like a choice Max might make and then undo in the past she's not going to know the true consequences of it until much further down the line and that's when you really start feeling the weight of your decisions and i liked that the game did try to impose limits on what you could do with the power so you couldn't like take the piss like rewinding the entire game (laughs) um, other than at key moments like it did kind of imposing those limits on it mechanically and storytelling wise it added some real interesting moments of drama where you hit a point where you think oh shit I'm at the point of no return. I think one of the real key ones in terms of those at the point of no return is at the end of episode two yep. and the situation with Kate. That's exactly so, the scene I was thinking of, yeah. Yes, so in spite of having the rewind time mechanics, there is a situation where Kate, who is a character, the one I mentioned up at the start, who's been sort of bullied quite quite badly, and basically she wants to take her life she she stands on the top of the roof of the the college building and and is primed to to jump and take her life in the run-up to that if i remember correctly you stop time but by the time you reach the roof um you are now spent Your, your skill is spent and this is one of those decisions where or it's one of those interactions where you can't undo it. Yeah. This is that sort of where you talked about overarching consequences and what you might not have realised up at the front of the game when you were doing things. Your interactions with Kate throughout the first two episodes will impact how she responds to you and whether she makes the decision to take her own life. So speaking personally for a second, I do have personal experience with suicide and... One of the things I always thought the game did quite well was 
regardless of what your outcome was, and I don't think it's necessarily appropriate for us to talk about what our outcomes were, but regardless of what the outcome was in that section, because then, you know, whatever happens, it is then referred to, the attempt itself is referred to throughout the rest of the game. It never really shied away from it, but it also never... It didn't make it like an event that was glorified. It wasn't like a big cinematic or anything like that. It's dealt with really seriously. At least that was my experience. I never felt like it was played for, you know, the drama or anything. It it, it felt like a situation many people, you know, young people have been in. I felt I had so much empathy for Kate. Like I say, regardless of the outcome, it does have an, an overarching impact, I think, on the game. So I'll open the floor a little bit here because I know it's a tough subject and it was a tough thing that they put into the game. But that particular moment, certainly for me, it was kind of, it was really hard hitting, but done in a really respectful way. Yeah, it felt authentic rather than exploitative. Like you say, the handling of it was very sensitively done. It wasn't casting judgment on Kate for any decisions she was going to make or like how, why she was in that position. It very much like it felt like it was very understanding of her situation rather than like thinking, "Oh, look at her, she's gonna jump." Her. It wasn't like leery and like some kind of uh, yeah. It's hard to say, but it it didn't feel like they were uh, rubbernecking in the situation. It didn't look like they were slowing down to watch a car crash. It looked like they were just stopping and trying to help and just having a real sensitivity about a very tough subject that's like affected a lot of people. Yeah, I think what stood out to me was that the blame for the whole situation is very firmly put on the people who took the video, shared the video, who drugged her at the party. And it's it's such a horribly common experience and if I remember rightly around this time in the US there were some very big cases about date raping incidences because that's I mean it doesn't go so to far as to say she was raped does it I think she's filmed kissing or something yeah yeah she's she's filmed kissing a number of um, yeah. boys at a yeah. party but the, I, th- I think like this suggestion the context is there that it could have easily gone further and it was Tying into a very real world context and not putting the blame on the victim at the centre of it, which I think it would have been easy to do if it hadn't been so sensitively handled. I, d- I think there is a story decision in the end that did feel, not the story decision at the end, but a bit further along, that did feel more exploitative and designed in a way um, as to make you... Like almost like it's almost like a forced sympathy, but I I felt with the Kate situation, it was built up so well and handled, yeah, by not making her the victim. So your interactions with her, however you treated her up to that point, the game is at great pains to make sure that no one watching the the situation play out should blame Kate for any of the things that she's gone through. No, and um. Chip, I know you had some thoughts around this as well. I did, yeah. Um, it, it was interesting for me uh, because I know we, we were not talking about, you know, whether we saved her or not, but I had a different outcome this time than I did the first time I played it. So this was the first time I saw the game play out 
uh, when you're not able to save Kate. Um, so I, the fallout from that and how that affects the game was new to me. And I think I agree with everyone. Yeah, what we've said is handled really well. It is a dramatic moment, but it's not there for shock value. Uh, it's handled in a way that feels very true to real life uh, and how that can trickle down to, you know, the people that were affected by it, whether that's, you know, whether they were there to try and help Kate or if they were responsible for her being in that position. So it was tough to see that. Uh, it was really, really tough because I hadn't experienced the gameplay out in that way. Having, you know, some experience like yourself, Sasha, with feeling, being in that position myself uh, before. Yeah, it, it was very well done. It didn't feel exploitative. And I think that's, it's definitely one of the things the game gets very, very right. And just before I say, can we just have a little virtual group hug for a second? Yes, absolutely. Yes, absolutely. <laughs> Put my hand around the mic. <laughs> <laughs> I did just want to share something about this, actually, that the developers um, shared back in, this was back in 2016. They talked about, so they, they did actually open up. They knew this was a, a touchy su- subject, so to speak. Uh, and a, a number of things throughout, you know, things like cyberbullying, addiction um there's a number of things that are discussed that that are presented throughout this game you know that's kind of aimed at teenagers and they 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 so they kind of opened up avenues for people to talk to them almost you know and what i um thought was just worth sharing and i think this is like the power of games sometimes right was they shared some of the letters that they received from actual players of the game who were around the age of the characters in these games. The way that they'd given players resources outside of the game for talking to someone at the time. Yeah, they got they got letters from from fans and, and players of the game who thanked them um, for their commitment to suicide prevention um, or talking about their personal struggles with depression or bullying and essentially saying how the game encouraged them or helped them see within themselves and encouraged them to get help. It's not going to be for everyone. And I know that's almost a quite a saccharine take in some ways. It's, you know, it's, I'm sure it's not, it's not exclusively this that will have helped people, but I think that's really beautiful. And like I say, the power of video games, um, the power of any storytelling really, but it's just that when something hits you in that right place at that right time, the difference it can make. And I just think that's really, really quite beautiful. It is. And adds a, a real strength to a game that in many places it does get things wrong. <laughs> <laughs> so as the story progresses, it it feels like a, a supernatural Twin Peaksy VOC. <laughs> that's such a good way of describing it. <laughs> <laughs> The teenage drama side of it, and then the story beats as you get through with the sort of murdery, uh, potentially pedophilic, right? Teacher? Oh, yeah. Like, Yo, yeah, there's definitely there's definitely hints that he's getting off on what he's yeah. doing. He's a badden. A pro- he's, he's a, a pro- badden. He's a proper creeper. He's a, he's a badden. A right <laughs> wrong'un. The way he manipulates... The rich kid that's like clearly his parents hate him or whatever, and so you know he's also a shitter. But like, <laughs> oh, sorry, he's also a shitter. But he's a shitter. I thought it was some Yorkshire like, thing. But you're like... also <laughs> supposed to be like 
empathetic towards him, I think, because, you know, he's clearly manipulated, but... Yeah, there's a bit of grooming there, right? Yeah. Yeah. With Nathan. But Nathan's such a shit that you're like, I don't really want to feel sorry for you. Yeah. But I don't... Yeah. <laughs> like... Yeah, enjoy hell, kid. I don't give a yeah. fuck. Yeah. <laughs> you know, you were awful. There, there like, are elements of, isn't there, grooming, but also, you know what's right from wrong, man. Killing people is bad. Like... The rich don't understand that. <laughs> uh, before we get into like the pulpy stuff, I want to know what everyone thought of uh, the decision to save Chloe's dad and the alternate universe that you get thrown into. Because I, this is where I have real issues with the game. So I wanted to get everyone else's read on it. Well, what is your? What was your issue with that that section? So that's the one where I felt was that's where it pushed into emotionally manipulative for me. I got Max's decision to try and save Chloe's dad, but it's the resulting, you know, what happens to Chloe as a result of her dad being saved. It goes pretty overboard a bit. Yeah, it felt very laying it on thick, and I get very uncomfortable with stories about disability where it's suggested that you can't live a life because you're disabled. Yeah, I could see that. And it just, it really rubbed me up the wrong way. And I didn't mention it at the time because I knew we were possibly going to be talking about this. And also I knew how much you guys love the game. So I didn't want to be like, oh my God, but this bit. <laughs> but I found that, like, I, I thought the whole bit where you had to decide, because obviously the game forces you into the decision of, of saving Chloe's dad. And that whole bit, you know, is really well done. But the what follows, I just, yeah, I thought it went too far. I can see that. I, I, I didn't make any notes on that section, really. But I, I can see what you're talking about now that I'm looking back on it. It is. It, it does, ed, at the very least, go on the edge of like suggesting that being disabled in any way is, means you have no quality of life. Yeah, it just, it just felt like, you know... I mean, Chloe, there's Chip mentioned, Chloe goes through so much over the course of the game already. I don't see why... They had to go down that route, like obviously gilding the lily a bit, isn't it? Really, yeah. Like, and obviously the thing with her dad is, is it's really tragic and sad already. But you could have easily done it where you know, in whatever version of the past she created, her dad died, rather than you know, it just felt I just like have Chloe died. Like, yeah, she didn't need to survive like something, some dramatic consequence, but that doesn't have to. Yeah, it just felt really, that way. That it just felt like it crossed into manipulation at that point. And I don't like being manipulated into feeling things because I do the whole dig my feet in the ground and I'm like, well, now I'm not going to do you. what you're telling me to do. <laughs> <laughs> That's interesting. It's not something I'd um, I considered. I think from from my perspective playing the game, uh, I definitely kind of at least feel that section is a little filler. You know, it's mm. like a, a side quest that probably didn't need to take up so much time as it did. Um, which is, you know, an entirely different discussion anyway. But thinking about, you know, what you presented there, I think you're right. You know, obviously you're not wrong in anything that you feel and think, but <laughs> in the sense of that, I think the game, that's definitely a section of the game where it is not as well handled as we were just talking about and more manipulative rather than letting the story kind of play out and you to uh, project your own kind of thoughts and feelings into things. Mm. So, uh, yeah, no, I think that's a very, 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 very fair criticism. <laughs> absolutely absolutely so Andy you said you didn't have any notes on that 
bit. What bit of the story really bothered you? Well, other than the ending, I, I did have issues with the dark room element. I don't feel like I had to get that grim. It, it just it, it didn't really add enough to the story to justify being there. I felt like it just went a whip bit too close to like fucking serial killer, like ugh, just yeah, just leery and voyeuristic. Talk about when Max is drugged in the chair. Yeah. Yeah. And they, they, like they, they, I think they added that just to add like an element of threat to Max, but the, it's hard not to see the threat as like sexual in nature mm. based on what's been happening. Even if they don't outright say it, it, it gives me that it gave me that feeling, and I did, it made me feel a bit queasy. And I, it, I don't think it added enough to the story, and I don't think it added a lot to the Rachel Amber mystery to justify being there. They could have found another way to resolve that storyline, because I felt like it. Because at this point in the game, a lot, all we know about Rachel Amber is what Chloe's experienced, and also that she's gone missing. So adding something so like dehumanizing to the whole thing it just made me feel very unsettled and i feel like there was better ways to wrap all this up and also provide like a physical threat to max we'd already established that there's people carrying guns around in the game they're quite happy to threaten people they could have just had something (laughs) like that happen in the game Mm. if you want to put max in a situation where she's in danger because it's you know, obviously they've had people using guns in the game before, and it's fucking America. <laughs> we'll connect the dots. It's fine. I just, I really didn't feel like the game needed that. It just felt like it went too far with that aspect for me, and it made me feel un- unwell. Yeah. It. yeah. It, it does go to a whole new extreme with the showing rather than telling. That felt yes. like something it could have told rather mm. than shown. And if I'm remembering correctly... And I know I'm saying this is like one of my favourite games, but I have not played it in the lead up to this episode, though I have played it at least three times previously. So <laughs> this is where some of my memories a bit hazy on specifics of when things happen. But I feel like that's the section, right, when you have the like really spacey, psychedelic, um, like escape levels. Yeah, we yeah. jumping through the pictures. Yes. yes, jumping yeah. through the pictures, and there's the like the when he's after Max, and there's the shadows, and the, you have to escape. Like there's like I remember there being locker rooms, and you had to be in like certain places to avoid him. Yeah, you. Can oh, I think you're talking about if, the end sequence there. Yes, yeah. and, that a, comes and after. if you fail, you get put back to the start. Yeah, yeah, that's after and, this. Yeah, yeah. This, uh, this one, like I thought, <laughs> like when Andy's saying about it wrapping up. I remember watching it play because obviously Chloe's stepdad turns up and saves you after being an absolute arsehole for the whole game, and you yeah. had like the teacher thread, the Nathan thread, Chloe's stepdad, all like wrapping up in this one scene where Max is just sat in a chair <laughs> watching it happen, and I'm just yeah. like, I don't like. It just felt like they were like, okay, right, no, we need to like, we need to resolve this. We need to specify that Chloe's stepdad isn't an arsehole. We need to specify that Nathan isn't entirely an arsehole, despite the fact that, yes, he is. And the teacher's also an <laughs> arsehole. And we need to solve the murder mystery. So we'll make the teacher the arsehole who committed the murder, but who manipulated Nathan. Into... And I was just, like, watching it play out, like, just stop. <laughs> like, not every little loose end needed to be tied up quite so neatly or in one scene where Max is sat in a chair. Yeah, I don't even feel like the stepdad thing needed... I, I never played through the game thinking, you know what, I feel like, I hope this guy gets, you know, a yeah. bit of re- 
like a bit of redemption. Like I don't give a shit. He's not like sometimes <laughs> people are assholes. Yeah, especially exactly. with stepdads. You know, just have someone. And that's the thing. Like with the the teacher's such a stereotypical asshole. Like there's, I, I clocked him being the bad guy really, really early on in the story just because he was too smooth and too. He's so smarmy, isn't he? Yeah. Like. Straight away, it's like, oh, I'm getting bad vibes. Yeah, and I, I do wonder if it's one of those things where, as as women who have had to navigate these spaces and men like that, whether there were, I don't know what how you guys, Chip and Andy, how you felt about him earlier on in the game, but he immediately was just like red flag, like flashing on the screen as soon as I saw him. <laughs> I just thought it was a bell end. <laughs> <laughs> Everybody in that art, like the f- photography class, I was thinking, oh god, I'd fucking kill myself if I was in this room as well. <laughs> See, I I don't remember where, what I first thought when I first played this because it was about five years ago. So it was a very different experience for me now because you you open in that class and I was like, oh, there's that yeah. bad, and I remember what he does. If I may make a comparison to the to the chair scene, and this is going to sound like a massively cheap plug, so I apologise ahead of time because um, <laughs> I think I think that scene's fucking gross. And see, I so I've done this other podcast where me and friends read through this piece of shit thing that a series that I wrote when I was about 15 um and I've noticed one of the things I'll do in that is if there's a villain or a bad guy I will literally you know my attempts at being a writer at that dumb age will make them the most evil person they use all this like horrible language and they do all these horrible things and it's like yeah dude I get it he's a bad guy you don't have to do that yeah (laughs) and that's how I feel about this scene is like Jefferson they just play him up so much yeah. And yeah, he's smarmy and suave and everything leading up to it. But then it's just like a switch where he just goes fucking mental. <laughs> and he calls Max a cunt at one point. And I'm always shocked when I hear an American say that because they don't say it. You know, English people say it all the time. Australians use it as a compliment. Uh, but it's just so weird hearing an American say it. And it felt it was one of the first times I felt that it was they were just putting a bit too much on that, you know, that they're just trying a little bit too hard. It's like, yeah, he, he kills children. We understand he's a yeah, bad yeah. person. You like don't that, necessarily need yeah. all of that. that it's another that gilding the lily moment. So it's yeah. too much. And for for a, a game that skirts in the grey areas a lot of the time, like a lot of, of Max's choices are never morally clear. It just felt very weird to me that, you know, they had to make him such a bad guy. Yeah, like he could have just he could have just killed her, like had an affair with a young like a young woman, and you know, the rest of it was, yeah, gilding the lily is the best way of putting it. It's it's a super grim and a big escalation as well. Mm. Just before we move on from that, one thing I did want to ask was, did you warn Victoria about the dark room? Yes, I did. Yes, this time, yes. I can't remember why the first time. I, I spent the whole game being nice to Victoria. So did you know that if you don't warn Victoria about the dark room, she doesn't end up in the dark room? By not telling her about the dark room, she doesn't die. See, this is one issue I have with games like this, like yeah. one of these sort of narrative yeah. games, is there was a game called Army of Two. Was it Army of Two? I think it was Army of Two. I think it might be the sequel to that, which is rubbish army of two two army of two two <laughs> uh, where you find like a young woman like a scared young woman uh it's like a third person shooter and there's there's some decision based stuff and if you if you decide 
to leave her in this like war zone or this bad place or wherever it was. So um, yeah, my memory's a bit hazy. She ends up fine. If you decide to try and help her, bad stuff happens to her that I don't want to get into because it's really icky. And I, I hate that. Like, I, like y- your choices should have the consequences that kind of make sense in a way and mm. not this kind of pull the rug out from underneath you kind of thing. Yeah, it should be organic. Yeah. And especially yeah. where violence against women is concerned. Like, yes. that always yeah. makes me... It just like it's such a it's just it's a tricky issue anyway. But if if your surprise element is your oh guess what is a woman dying or suffering in some way because that's you, what you thought was cool to do like it just oh edgy yeah yeah edgy yeah. yes yeah. I just like literally like folded in on myself just thinking about it because it is it's just gratuitous violence against women because with like women the female characters are disposable and that feels very out of character for this game it, mm. and that's that's why i brought it up because of all the things that happen and i absolutely agree on that sort of really manipulative middle bit with the going back in time like really far back in time thing there are certain elements of it that are like oh, all right very like teenage soap opera right Mm. like there's there's bits about and i imagine especially um you know like i played this seven years ago so was very much in my mid-20s and my situation then was very different it's the first time i was single since i was 18 like my at the time very long-term partner um you know so i i'd like been with someone for like seven years or whatever so it was almost this was like revisiting my teenhood in a way as well so there were lots of bits of this that I loved and sort of really got sucked into even though it was high school drama a lot <laughs> very American high school drama in places oh, yeah. as yeah, well yeah some of the cliffhangers especially but I mean, it's been injected with teenage angst steroids hasn't it let's put it <laughs> yeah yeah, absolutely. But I, mean, I don't I don't dislike it for that. That's absolutely the, the vibe it was going for. Mm. And so oh, that's yeah, fine. The, it makes it sense. just it really commits to that. <laughs> but yeah, this was the one thing that when I learned about it, because when you think, oh, Victoria was just gonna be there and that's just how it was gonna be, your brain can comprehend it. But then to find out that if you didn't warn Victoria, which feels like absolutely the kindest thing to do, mm. in keeping with how I imagine most people play Max which is that in spite of the fact that Victoria is another shit turd in the game. <laughs> it's just relentlessly awful to you, even when you try to Such be nice to her. She's a proper shitting. She doesn't deserve to die at the hands of a pervy teacher. Mm. That was just one of those moments where when I heard about that one decision, in spite of all the many decisions you make, and the fact that one of the things that always impressed me was how so many of them will trickle through. So decisions you make in episode one will trickle through into episode five. It always impressed me that way, but this was just one of those that I was like, oh, why? Mm. <laughs> why do you have to do the arsehole thing, which is to not warn her, to get the better outcome for her? Yeah, and I don't think you should necessarily be rewarded in a way, like, for making morally correct choices, because that's not how the world works. But no, there's it just felt needlessly cruel. Yeah, that's that's there has to be a reason behind it. And as you say, like yeah. if it, if she'd ended up in the room regardless of what you'd done, then you know it's still you've still tried, you've still made an effort. Yeah, you're not being punished for trying to do a good thing. Yeah, which yeah, like you say, isn't how the world works. But this feels like the game's working against you rather than it being a natural consequence. Yeah, yeah, it feels like it's doing lots of somersaults to try and get to that point from 
point A to point B, it doesn't really make sense, and it's very hard to work out how you get there. Yeah. Just to break the mood a little bit, because we've talked a lot about a lot of grim stuff, <laughs> I do have another slight issue with the writing that I'll just mm-hmm. bring in here, because there's no other place I feel like I could put it. I, I did have issues with the dialogue, uh, some of it, because this could be just because I'm fast approaching 40 and I'd rather have my ball sack nailed to a bullet train than listen to teenagers. <laughs> but some of the slang just really wound me up. Uh, it's well, like a handy re- thing to say. Sorry, Chip, I did <laughs> not pull away from the microphone for that laugh. <laughs> it's just, yeah, I just feel like a good rule of thumb is that if anyone experiences back pain or can feel their knees when they're standing up, they shouldn't be writing dialogue for teenagers. <laughs> It just, I just, it just bugged me. I wish they'd just written without tried to avoid the slang. It just got a bit cringy, hella cringy, well. even. It does feel dated. Playing it now, and not yeah. in like a we're playing this game seven years after it came out. It, it felt it, annoying. At the time, at the time. Yeah, 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 yeah. Like I, I think if I'd played it back at the time, I'd have been like, oh, really? We're making those choices. It, okay. it was a meme. It was a meme almost immediately. Like especially Chloe yeah. saying "hella." So it's the yes. compilations of her saying that. It's like shut the fuck up. Do you know what though? That is one of the things I kind of like about it is that it is kind of <laughs> that over-the-top, exaggerated, poor dialogue. It just it just adds to it for some reason. It's like why I kind of like David Cage for games. I, I I don't have a problem with people yeah liking it. Yeah, it's just all a bit ridiculous and stupid, and yeah. which is like me, so I like it. But I I like I think like possibly the issue becomes it's because it's trying it has that kind of ridiculous overall edge which i agree it's like the oc meets twin peaks which you know <laughs> fine that's a pitch that would win yeah but like i think it's when it tries to make it like really serious like aside from i think aside from the kate scene all the serious moments don't land quite so well <laughs> precisely because they're so serious compared to whatever the dialogue and like the overall teenagerness of it like you should have i think it would have worked better as a whole had it just been the overall teenage relationship stuff and you just ignored all the pulpy murder mystery things yeah those are my favorite bits the 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 relationship with max and chloe i could have you could have took everything else out and i would have been fine for five episodes yeah and you just have the pair of them trying to navigate a small town small town attitudes like, essentially yeah. the stuff that they were doing anyway, but without murder and pervy photography, man. You could have even had the mystery still in there, because it did make sense as, like, a driving force for Chloe and Max mm. coming back together. Because obviously when they first get back together, you realise that there's some real tense yeah. shit has gone on between them at the point that Max returns, because Max basically ghosted Chloe um, when she left town a few years p- prior. So when they'd been best friends and things. Mm. It presented a reason for them to start spending a bit more time together outside of, you know, Max can use her powers to help or whatever. But it still feels like you could have still had that, but just, like, simplified the shit out of it. Mm. Do you know what? You yeah. didn't need the creepy teacher. It could have just been that it she was died of an Nathan or Prescott as a crappy douchebag mm. who got angry or just stick with you know it's established that rachel amber was on drugs and you know maybe she just had an overdose which would have been awful but because of how well they played out the the kate suicide attempt it would have been almost more meaningful for them to even do like a 
actually there was just a really simple answer to this. Yeah, that's and what I thought it was really going to be. Yeah, and playing that tragedy out instead because the final decision could have still been a thing that had to be done. Yes, because you know that comes about. And here we're going to do big spoiler <laughs> klaxon. I think we're naturally at the point where we're going to talk about the final choice. Ooh, just before we just before we do that, can I can I bring up one more final criticism? Yes. Maybe a slight minor thing, but there is a point where Max says the Final Fantasy Spirits Within is one of the finest sci-fi films ever made, uh, and it's just not. It's just like far, far. She deserved every bad thing that ever happened and to her. Th- that is the worst piece of dialogue in the game. It hella is, uh, and I just I want that on record as this is one of my favourite games, and I hate that moment. I I'd mentally blocked that bit out, but yes, I love absolute that that's bullshit. Your line. Okay, Great. so back to the final <laughs> choice. Oh my god. I thought you were actually going to have something properly meaningful then. That was that meaningful, was. it's a shit film. <laughs> I, I paid full price at the cinema to see that bullshit. Well, that yeah. I bought mistake. it on DVD. <laughs> That's final a huge problem. It was. Take away. Stop it. <laughs> the final choice. So yeah, listeners... Skip ahead a bit. I don't know. Maybe we can put some timestamps in or something. But yeah. Guess. Like, we're briefly going to talk about the final choice. If you don't briefly. want it spoiling for you, don't listen to this bit. So, it feels like the story could have still had the final choice, regardless of whether they did all that awful icky stuff or if they did it in a much simpler answer that didn't have to be just objectively disgusting. <laughs> the... The big, like, it's tornado, right? Or is it a whirlpool or something? Yeah, it's The big weather that's coming coming to destroy the town (laughs) is basically (laughs) the the world in which they're in fighting back against Max's time-travelling shenanigans, essentially. You, you know, it all happens because she keeps messing, fucking about with time. Um, so you still could have had that. That still would have been a thing. Yep. So my question to you, each of you, is did you save Bay or Bay? Bay. Nah. How long have you been sat on that? Not that long. <laughs> it's really good. Thank you. I saved the Bay. You saved the Bay. Okay, Becky, you saved the Bay. Andy, did you save Bay or Bay? I'll, I'll give my answer, but I do want to elaborate more after. Oh, yeah, so just... I've got I've got reasons. Yeah, that, yeah. and that's I, fine. I saved that's the fine, Bay. But... You the, saved the, the I bay. saved the town, yes. Yeah, I saved the Just town. Avoiding the... Arcadia Bay, yes. yes. For those who have got lost because we kind of didn't mention Arcadia Bay once after that initial introduction. <laughs> <laughs> Chip, did you say Bay or Bay? Which, which time? Well, the first time. So the first the time, time where you weren't playing out the different end. Okay, the first time I saved the town. You saved the bay. Okay, well, it will not surprise any of you that I saved bay, as in I saved flurry. <laughs> I would fell a thousand towns before I gave up Chloe. You're all fucking monsters. Um, <laughs> right. Yeah, you frankly, killed like hundreds of thousands of people. Yeah. It's not hundreds of thousands of people living it's, there. It's entirely thousands. possible I am a monster because I was largely dispassionate through the entire thing. <laughs> <laughs> Glad now that I've got now that I've gotten that off my chest, and I think obviously my um, personal experience has definitely hugely impacted how I felt about all of that. I just thought the town was full of bullies and arsholes. And, and Chloe's uh, mum. Chloe was well, you know. 
she had to lose says, one like, of them. My mum will die, and then you she's fine with it. One apparently, of them. you had to lose one of them. So I don't see why you're putting Chloe's mum above Chloe. Anyway, let's not argue. Um, <laughs> she started <laughs> this. <laughs> we always argue. Come on. Yeah, you you, you called us monsters. Yeah, <laughs> but let's and not I talk about that. that. Yeah, that's let's just say to a the statement fact that you of fact. Chose to kill thousands of people um, for one person. <laughs> And I would do it again. (laughs) (laughs) I want to hear your thoughts on it because I have actually played both endings and I understand the reasonings for picking both endings. I know why I chose mine, like my original choice. But yeah, I want to hear your thoughts. Like I can hear there's criticism in there and lots of, you know... thoughts (laughs) i feel like the phoenix Wright cross-examination music is going to come in right now (laughs) you should absolutely do that objection (laughs) (laughs) okay i'll take the heat first from sasha i'll Um, I'll follow (laughs) so my decision is purely based on the wrath of khan principle of sometimes you have to sacrifice the one to save the many and as much as i adore spock and as much as I loved Chloe as a character, I could not in good conscience sacrifice lots and lots of people just because Chloe was great. Basically. Monster. Take that! <laughs> <laughs> Andy? Yeah, I'm probably going to take a bit longer. <laughs> Uh-oh. So yeah, thematically I did understand the making you make the choice. Like Max had to learn to live with her mistakes and how you interpret that decision is down to you. Does she face the consequences of meddling with time to the extent that it wipes out the town? Or does she face the consequences of undoing time in the first place and lose Chloe? They're, they're both the same decision, basically, just at different points. So I was kind of already like feeling like they're just making me make the same kind of decision both times. That was making me disconnect a little bit. But I'm trying to work my way through it, my feelings on it. I, it just felt cheap bringing it all down to basically a magic tornado <laughs> kind of it doesn't feel organic to the story that you've been telling with these two characters it's it's completely divorced from their experiences it's like a shitty deus ex machina that's been done wrong mm-hmm. it just feels like a storytelling shortcut to try and force you into a decision unlike uh, something like the walking dead which forced you into a decision that had been naturally built over the course of all these episodes and it involved it very specifically involved events that you were involved in what something about this just didn't feel earned to me the way like a lot of the telltale games do feel earned the the reason it resonates with me as a choice is because max and chloe did matter as characters but as a piece of storytelling it felt like a big disservice to them to like bring their deeply personal intimate journey down to magic weather I basically, I chose the bear because it just seemed like a more narratively interesting choice. Like Becky said, the Wrath of Khan choice. What Life is Strange 1 was doing with its ending, it just amounted to a trolley problem. <laughs> and when it becomes down to that, I just immediately just pfft, shut off. I'm not invested. They were forcing, they were trying to force my hand in a way I felt manipulated a bit. So I was like, no, fuck you. I'll just let the town live. I would hella disagree with that uh well not that much actually i just wanted to say hello again but for me uh i feel like the ending is set up right from the start so you have to mean it's well earned though just means it's a thing 
yes, I see what you're saying. And like, I don't necessarily disagree with that. But I think for me, it works because, you know, you see the ending from the start and Max's whole thing becomes about saving Chloe. You know, the amount of times that Chloe gets shot, hit by trains, etc., and all the rewinding time stuff becomes about Max trying to save Chloe and get her through this when really it feels like it is Chloe's destiny to die. That's why I initially chose to save the town at the start. It was like, well, it was part of the reason, but also because it felt like Chloe's fate, her destiny, whatever you want to call it, was that she had to die. And the fact that she was kept alive all this time is why all this bad stuff was happening. So I think the fact that it comes down to this decision, it's like, well, you can save her, but it's, there's going to be this massive consequence or you can carry through with what is meant to happen, and that is that Chloe is meant to die, and the reality will carry on as normal from that point. So, yeah, I don't, I, I completely understand what you're saying, but for me, I don't have that kind of Mass Effect 3 reaction to it, you know, the ending with that, where it comes down to three choices, where this is only two. But, yeah, for me, it works. And I think I sit somewhere <laughs> firmly on the opposite side. <laughs> um, no, in all seriousness, I, like I say, I played out both. And what I would say is, in this game, when you play out saving Chloe, it's never explicitly stated that the whole town... The town is destroyed, but it doesn't necessarily mean everyone dies. Certainly, I think that was how I a little bit morally got myself around that. Although, again, I would fell a thousand towns. <laughs> I want to be. <laughs> you can't say got morally around it and be like, I'd kill everyone. Yeah, I would murder many people. <laughs> again town of bullies not all of them (laughs) many of them many of them but yeah i i totally get it 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 was certainly i remember even at the time a very polarizing end i'm with chip in the that i didn't see it as problematic the way it gets to there particularly you know i think it's signposted enough throughout um, you know, just your general gameplay. And again, it almost makes the actual, a lot of that last episode and the way all of that other stuff plays out even worse because I think they could have spent more time on that. Yeah. Mm. If they hadn't gone the route they did with this is a very bad, evil villain, blah, blah, blah. Or, you know, like they could have just, everything could have just been toned down in that last episode. And they could have spent more time exploring the idea that it's actually your decisions to keep saving Chloe, to keep fucking about with time that get you to this point where you're at. And I think it would have almost made it hit land a bit better. Mm. Um, yeah. Land in a more meaningful way because you wouldn't have just gone through that absolutely like mentally draining <laughs> last couple of hours and then to be presented with this. I mean, the decision destroyed me at the time. The first time I played it, I cried my eyes out. Yeah, I remember same. sitting for a good while and being like, I don't even know how to pick. I, I did that. I did that. Yes. And I will say that even though I picked Chloe and I kind of, you know, I joke that I'm very aggressively pro picking Chloe. <laughs> I say joke. I kind of am. But what I mean is at the time, that <laughs> still towns. felt like a really, it felt like a really difficult decision and that was the right decision for me and the game that I played like saving my love or whatever yeah that felt right for me and for my game um my experiences of that game but it is definitely that whole saving the one or the many and it felt almost like in reality that you weren't supposed to make that choice yeah I think I sit in between like the two camps as far as how it works as a story element i think 
Sasha, you're right. I think the bad guy needed to be the time they changed along the way rather than the evil teacher. I think the whole point of Max's journey is about learning the consequences, you know, learning the consequences of not ghosting Chloe when she moved away, um, of all the decisions that you take in-game as well. And there was a way to make it kind of a metaphysical exploration of that without all of the pulpy stuff. I mean, it's what we've said before, like, you know, they just needed to focus on that relationship and the idea of the things you do for love and friendship can't always translate into how you want the world to be. And I also agree with Andy that, you know, I knew a big decision was coming because I knew the structure of the game and also because you guys had mentioned about the ending. So I think that coloured my playthrough as well, is that I knew that it was building up to this moment. I don't think it was necessarily as well earned as it could have been, but it, I did cry and I did cry a lot at <laughs> the ending. So it obviously got me on some emotional level. I, I agree. I, feel, I do feel like they could have spent more time building to that moment rather than just having the occasional flash forward. Mm. Like they could have showed signs that things were going wrong after, after like Max would make a rewind or something. Just spend a bit more time developing that as an existential threat rather than focusing all this time on fucking creepy Nancy teachers. Yeah. <laughs> Just like cut that stuff out and you could spend a bit more time storytelling wise on establishing how this threat is going to emerge. And like, yeah. it just felt like it wasn't built up properly for me. Yeah. They do touch upon it in bits and uh, bits and pieces when you've got, you know, the dead birds and the whales being beached and, and that sort of thing, like, and the eclipse. So this definitely feels like, something big is about to happen. Now, we know it's a big, aggressive gust that's on its way. <laughs> but I do I quite like the kind of... I, I, it just works for me. Like I just kind of like that stuff and yeah. the, the, the looming apocalypse that's coming. I did find it weird that you see... there's a Like, Max has a vision of the storm at the very beginning of the game before she's even locked her powers. I, I still can't get my head around that. I think that's where it starts, right? That's kind yeah. of what unlocks it. It's like she's in that predicament and then she but flashes isn't back. isn't the storm a ma- the manifestation of her meddling with time and she hasn't done it yet? Oh, and then we're in some sort of weird time loopy discussion now. Is she? Is yeah. the start of the game actually a point where she's looped back? I or don't she's, know, fucking hell. She's warning herself that this is going to happen. But you, she does a bad job of it. MCU. <laughs> but yeah, I think like <laughs> what's what I feel like having this conversation with you guys is that it's very much like two games kind of smushed together. I think it was great if the whole works for you. I love listening to you guys talk about games you love. That'll never get old, whether I feel the same about the game or not. Yeah. But I think, like, it was almost like it needed to commit to the pulpy, murder mystery, creepy, grimdark, whatever that was, or the sort of the lovely, slow, existential relationship at the heart of it. And it's kind of where those two meet that the issues arise. Yeah, I'd agree. There's half of a game I really like and half of it I have issues with and wish was better because of how much I loved the half that I liked. Yes, yeah. It feels as well, from talking here, and I think this is kind of the conclusion we're getting to, is that it started out really strong. Like, those first two episodes, I just remember being blown away Yeah. by yeah. the experience of the game the like you say that central relationship and how that develops and the relationships that she builds with the other students and things it all just feels really relatable Mm. and however you played it and it also was like yeah there's an impending 
big weather, but <laughs> it it all felt really grounded. Even though there is that like time travel aspect, it still it doesn't really get truly ridiculous until the last two episodes, I think. Yeah, where it starts to really go off the rails. Yeah, um, and I don't know if this is one of the dangers of episodic releasing. Because I guess as a game comes out and you start to see its reception, do do your approaches to the next episode change? I don't know. I don't know how quickly they were turning these around. I don't know how much of it was already written up front, you know, before they started releasing them. It is just an interesting thing to consider with these types of games was, did the end, or was it rushed as well? But was that ending what they'd intended originally? Like how much of that was already pre-plotted out and how much of it? Did they fill in when they started to see the reception and the response to it and like upping that ante? Because obviously when it's so low key, you get all those dickheads you'll swing in a walking simulator. Like, <laughs> like as if there's anything wrong with that. It's also a walking back simulator. Oh yeah, a very good Andy. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> I don't know, but it's certainly been interesting to talk through those final choices. <laughs> <laughs> Just one last thing on the ending as well is I find saving the town is a more impactful ending for me. Like, obviously, that's yep. how I did it the first time around. But, like, the whole scene with Chloe's funeral, like, wrecked me. That was when the point where just the tears were flooding out. Whereas when you save Chloe, you just kind of drive away. And Chloe isn't even like, oh, you know, my mum might be dead or whatever. But whatever, we'll just go on a nice little road trip. <laughs> um, whereas I'm, I'm very glad that I saved Chloe because I love her. But, like, yeah, I just... It didn't feel as emotional as the ending when Chloe pops her clogs. Yeah. Kind of like uh, Marvel Spider-Man. Like, if they let you choose between saving Aunt May and saving New York, would saving Aunt May be a better ending? It, it wouldn't work for me. It feels... Yeah. It yeah. feels better... More, it feels... It reflects better on Max to have her make a big personal sacrifice for the greater good sort of thing. And plays better into the themes of everything that's come before it. Yeah. And the, the fact that the other ending is less satisfying the picking max is ultimately less satisfying um again speaks to how i don't actually think you were meant to pick that like i don't think that's the decision it's not the decision they're pushing you towards yeah at all but i guess my argument at that point would be well why make you make the decision then if that's exactly yeah exactly it's a a staple of the genre isn't it you feel obligated to offer a choice Mm. even if one doesn't make sense it lets itself down in that respect okay so we talked an awful lot about life is strange widening the net a little bit i know some of us have got experiences of the other life is strange games which some of them have tenuous links some of them have more impactful links we're not going to go into too much detail at all but just i will say this i have played before the storm i played it uh, earlier this year actually for the first time so before the storm is the prequel to this and it is chloe and rachel amber's story there is then life is strange 2 which just has two it didn't <laughs> get like any sort of you know other name that is a completely different story completely different characters um what i will say is it's very set in trump's america so it very much places it in a set time period and it's very much a response to trump's america as well And then there's True Colours, which came out at the very back end of last year. That features um, at least one character from uh, Before the Storm, actually. The the thread that's meant to tie them all together 
is in theory the um, magical abilities. Oh, there's that mini one episode as well, isn't there? The free one that comes before Life yeah, is Strange Captain too. Yeah, Captain something. Yes, um, Captain Underpants. Captain so Spirit. The Adventures of Captain yeah. Spirit. I think it is or something. But it's like just yeah. a one individual episode that's a freebie. It's tied into Life is Strange too. Yeah, that leads into Life is Strange too. Like I say, I have played all of these except the entirety of True Colors. I've played three out of five. Um, also, this is kind of a good place to mention as well. There is the Life is Strange comics. So regardless of what choice you made as your final choice in Life is Strange, the Life is Strange comics just say, hey, what if they both lived? And that was the choice you made. So if you made the other one, you get to experience it anyway. So it pretty much picks up exactly where it leaves off of Max and Chloe driving off into the sunset. I know none of you have experienced that, so there'll be no spoilers at all from me. But just to say, this one game, and it's only been seven years, has spanned... <laughs> loads of things and like i said that was what i was getting to sorry was the thread that holds them all together is the superpowers part except in before the storm because that's just um chloe and rachel and neither of them have that element and in true colors that um the most recent release it's empathy which do you know what I'm just not going to try and explain. <laughs> to me? Just, I, I don't have questions. In life, If you have just... questions, I'm willing to answer them. But <laughs> what is the power in that is empathy, which is a really interesting power and a weird one. For me, the wider games so far, having played most of them, haven't really altered my love of Life is Strange when they haven't, other than the comics, haven't really added anything to it. Chip and Andy, I know that you guys have played some of the other ones, and I just wondered, in terms of that wider Life is Strange as a series, how you feel about it? I'll say I, I like Life is Strange 2 the most. That's my favourite of the series. It's, again, a very specific emotional thing, but the story of an older brother feeling responsible for a younger sibling... Uh, when the world is turning upside down, that that really hit me in like the heart. I I felt that I felt a real immediate bond to it, even though our circumstances are wildly different. It's just that that connection. It's the same reason I cried at the end of the Lego Movie too. It's just yeah, <laughs> it's just a sibling thing. But yeah, I, and I also thought the writing overall was a lot stronger. The storytelling was more confident. It developed more organically, especially the ending. That felt really earned. And I liked the twist that you weren't the one with the superpowers. You were responsible for a kid who was unstable and coming to terms with their own powers. It gave your decisions a lot of weight and it felt more unpredictable. Like you couldn't control the situations you were in. You had to just hope for the best. You're just making the best judgment you could at the time. That is definitely my favourite one. But Before the Storm, I I liked. It's fine. Uh, good character focused storytelling and I get why Deck 9 were entrusted with the series after that I, I can I can see why they decided to give them like true colours to make it, it just didn't connect with me the same way the other two games did and I haven't played true colours like at all, that's going to be a game where I'm going to wait for a good sale I think because I like the episodic structure for these games I like being able to like, sample the first episode see if I like what I see and then I can commit to the rest of it rather than having to buy it all as a whole package and then you're kind of stuck with it. If you don't like the first episode, you're kind of fucked. So that's me. And Chip, what about you? I liked Life is Strange 2 uh, as well. I don't think as much as Andy. It's much less pulpy than the original Life is Strange, but it does feel, well, at least I felt that it kind of added those huge dramatic 
moments more. Like it feels like a, um, you know, in Walking Dead, you get a lot of uh, you know, bad things happening to your character that you've got to survive through. It felt like it was leaning a bit more into that. And yeah. I, I, I liked Before the Storm as well. I don't think it necessarily adds anything to Life is Strange. I wouldn't say it was a must play. Like, I don't think you have to play Before the Storm if you've played Life is Strange. I really enjoyed seeing Chloe again, but knowing kind of what happens to her, it, it didn't really add necessarily anything else, but I did enjoy it. And True Colors, I just, I'm not that fussed about. I must say that the, the thing it comes down to with these games is I think what makes the first game is Max and Chloe. And if they're not involved and it's not continuing their story or anything like that, I'm just not very interested i i do kind of i'm curious to see if they'll ever not necessarily do a life is strange universe where they all come together and fight crime the Avengers. But, yeah <laughs> just because they're set in the same universe so it'd be interesting they could be see. the strangers <laughs> <laughs> but just to kind of see where these these powers are coming from or if there is a reason for them or if they're just they just happen to have them it's evolution or anything like that but yeah i max and chloe make these games for me so i probably wouldn't be too more interested in the say uh in future games and like andy i'd probably wait for a sale and becky you've not played any of the other sort of life is strange universe games yeah. did your experience of the first one is there any interest in playing the others uh i mean i did say i was going to try and play them for this episode and then obviously just never got around to it but I have to say, it's not its not something I feel particularly fussed by, I don't think. I wondered if I'd come out of this episode feeling a bit more positively about it. But mm, no, I just... Yeah, I'm not sure if they're for me. I don't think. I certainly don't think I would buy them. I'd probably borrow them from you again, Sasha. <laughs> no, that's entirely fair. So the only things I wanted to add, because previously I was just giving a bit of an explanation about what those extra universe things were. First thing I will say is, you should all read the comics, you can all borrow them. Um, the way that continues Max and Chloe's story is incredible. Just be pre- prepared to cry some more. But <laughs> yeah. No, I refuse. They're, they're so good. I agree, Chip, that before the storm, I mean, I already said I don't think it added anything. Um, I, I don't think it takes anything away specifically, no. but... I found the way that it closed, that it lifts the, I don't know, what's it called? Like, lifts the blanket on the, the mystery. Veil? I don't know. I'm thinking the blanket of, like, a magician, you know, where they lift the, I don't know. <laughs> I yes, am I like lost that. in this metaphor entirely. It's a, it's a very comfy magician. With blankets and pillows. <laughs> you mean behind when the curtain? When it's no longer a mystery. Behind the curtain, the... you mean? Yeah. Yes, oh, under the blanket, exactly <laughs> under the blanket of mystery. <laughs> when you lift the blanket. Well, we know what the title of this episode's going to be. <laughs> There's a bad one under the blanket. <laughs> the blanket of mystery. Um, the blanket of mystery. The, you know, the, the, the sawn in half bit of the magician's table. You know, that mystery. When that's lifted and, and the idea of um, Max and... Not Max. Chloe and Rachel's relationship is no longer this mystery and things it's, it is it is beautifully played but so before the storm is only three episodes versus yeah. five it's dead short it's, it's dead short there's no superpowers in it it is literally it is pure fan service but not in like like a cynical way or anything but it is it, it was purely just people loved chloe so they wanted to create something that had more Chloe. So prequel was the only way to go. You learn a bit more about, obviously, her family and their relationships, especially with David. 
and and so he becomes slightly more empathetic i will say that i think because he does try but it's clear that their relationship just breaks down but i found the rachel amber and chloe relationship and i don't know if it's because it was played over three episodes it just feels really accelerated and not earned at all Mm, yeah i'd agree so i found that quite frustrating playing that what i will say is there is a bonus episode that you can get with life is strange that is just an episode that's dedicated to max and chloe when they're kids and it's right before chloe's dad dies that wrecked me (laughs) and if there's a way that you can play that episode on its own i would say that's absolutely worth it because you get to see max and chloe when they're kids together and they're pretending to be pirates and it's all really cute and it's really sweet and then it happens literally on the cusp of when max is leaving so that all has more emotional weight to it basically the timing of all of that i don't want to spoil it because i genuinely do think it's worth playing that individual bonus episode if there's a way to get hold of just that but do play it because i do think that adds something it's a shame that wasn't just like a one shot rather than the whole sort of three episodes yeah uh, i don't think rachel amber's that interesting of a character when you, no, you meet her not. um she's way better as this kind of mysterious cool figure that she's set up as in life is strange yeah. but yeah. when you actually meet with her you're like yeah you're not that interesting are you really <laughs> very hard to meet their expectations yeah yeah i the, my favorite i think the bit in before the storm that devastated me the most is we haven't really talked about when you pause you can see read text messages from people and the, the messages yes. from um chloe to max and when you start to see that max has stopped responding and chloe oh. eventually gives up try to contact her that absolutely ruined me like that was one of the saddest things in that whole spin-off it was just that, that felt real. Mm, yeah. In Life is Strange 2, my feelings towards that were I really, really wanted to like it. I think it's a bit more action-y. I think it focuses a bit less on the relationships, other than obviously between the two brothers. Uh, the issue I had was I found the younger brother a little shit. Um, I <laughs> actively disliked him. <laughs> so... Well, yeah, little brothers. That's... Um, well, I don't have one, but... Uh, well, little siblings, I'll say, yeah. Y- younger siblings just tend to be a pain in the fucking ass. But yeah, there was just something about him I found really hard to like. And so, Scar, fuck it, just go off on your own, I don't give a shit. <laughs> like, <laughs> it was so annoying. <laughs> and then, yeah, there is, of course, True Colours, which is just a different thing on its own. But it's interesting to see how they're expanding that universe, though. I do think empathy the empathy thing is cooler than it sounds. Like her power like she can feel people's strong feelings and has the power to almost absorb them and change them and influence them. So the way she interacts with the world is very different and to others because she almost she can hear people's thoughts occasionally, she can tap into their feelings. And so the way you interact with that world is different because you're the manipulator almost. And you have to make decisions over whether you manipulate people's feelings or not. And I found that really interesting to play so far. I found it tough because the subject of it is losing a big brother. And that's just been like a thing to play out. I, I do think the way they're expanding the universe is is pretty interesting. With True Colours was obviously the announcement that they're bringing out the remastered collection. I'm going to go out and say it now. I don't think there's any point. <laughs> no. Uh, nope. Not really. No, none. Love these games, but why? Style, like, stylistically, they haven't aged, really, because 
they've chosen an art style rather than trying to be photorealistic. So yeah. those games, that look doesn't age. That's that's going to stay good forever. I don't know what they're going to change or remaster. It's entirely possible it might ruin the look. Like I'm, I'm nervous to see what it looks like because some remasters have really fucked the bed or shat the bed. They fucked a shitty bed. Uh, they fucked a shitty bed. Yeah, the bed's covered in shit and then they fuck it. Cool. Well, Thanks for explaining that. The photo, you needed to the know. The photorealism. I'm just powering through. It's interesting that you talk about the photorealism aspect because obviously that is very much the true colours thing. That feels very photorealistic rather than an art style. And I would argue that Life is Strange 2 kind of went down that road a little bit. Um, it certainly went for that more realistic art style rather than it being a just little cleaner, a choice. yeah. But before the storm and and the original do have a style. Like I have the collected editions of both of those that come with the art books and everything. So there's they, they do have a whole vibe to them. Yeah, I, if they make it photorealistic, it almost might take something away from it a little bit. I don't know. Again, Becky, I know that you don't have as strong an attachment to these games. Mm. Having just played it, especially, like, does it feel like something that needs remastering? Not at all. No. 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 <laughs> like one of the no. the things I I really aside from the slang which we have talked about, uh, one of the things I really enjoyed was the style and the fact that it didn't feel like I was playing a seven year old game at all. So it's a bit baffling to me why they feel they need to remaster it quite so quickly or at all and they're only doing before the storm and life is strange so whilst it's a remastered collection it's actually just the chloe and max story remastered which i hate to say it but does feel a little bit like cynically cashing in on what a lot of people love about life is strange which is max and chloe maybe they're gonna bring it on nft to go with it i tell you what i will go for if they bring out with it is um vinyls of the soundtracks Ooh, yeah, I do love the soundtrack. Because holy shit, are those soundtracks good? Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah. Every every game's got a f- cracking soundtrack. Like it's the sort of shit I'll listen to on my own when I'm working. It's yeah. I did have um. There was one thing about the soundtrack because uh, I I knew that I loved it, and when I when I reinstalled Life is Strange to play it for the pod for like yeah second time round, I noticed on my Steam account that it told me that it was nearly five years to the day, like exactly since I last played it. So I played it in 2017, or could have completed it in 2017. And I thought, hey, Nito, that's kind of a nice bit of, you know, symmetry there that I'm playing it again after this time. And then at the beginning of the game, um, when it max leaves the classroom for the first time and that kind of indie pop soundtrack kicks in, I realised kind of what a bit of a kick to the heart that was. So, you know, you alluded to this earlier, Sasha, but um, so 2017 was probably the, like, just the worst year of my entire life. Um, I went through some really dark times, uh, and of course I'm proud to say that, you know, I pulled myself out of it eventually, and I'm still here and alive and well today, so that's all great. But I was listening to that soundtrack a lot that year, and it sort of became the soundtrack to my dark times in a weird sort of way, because, you know, there's a lot of emotion on that soundtrack, lots of melancholy, and it just kind of fit my mood for that time. Like, I remember playing it at work one time and just having to, like, go out the back because I just broke down. So to be reintroduced to that, was quite a powerful moment because I hadn't even thought of that and made the connection again until I heard it. And then every time a new song came in, it kind of linked to a memory from that time. Uh, And it initially made it a little bit difficult to experience that again, playing the game and hearing the soundtrack. You know, I'd almost forgotten that that 
music belonged to this game because for so long it felt like it belonged to me and that period in my life. And one of the things I really liked about replaying the game, and this might sound kind of dumb or whatever, but um, it felt like I was able to give the soundtrack back to that game, like still take enjoyment from it and love all the music, but it it didn't have that kind of same meaning to me anymore because I'm in a you know, much stronger and better place. So that was kind of a nice thing about replaying Life is Strange. Not dumb at all. Can we have another group hug? Yeah. Yeah, yeah yes, please. <laughs> I'm instigating another group hug. <laughs> and I think that's the perfect place to end our discussion on Life is Strange. In a place of sort of hope. And, you know, we talk about this quite a lot now, but sometimes games come to you when you need them. Sometimes a game's lasting impression can actually be those feelings like it's you know that can be greater than the sum of the game's parts it doesn't make a game not not criticizable it just means that what it means to you it's fine for it to mean more to you yeah 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 definitely and that is just the beauty of this medium to me and i think that's a really good place to end it On to my recommendation that I've been teasing for a short while. Is this going to be a wild tonal (laughs) shift? I feel like it absolutely (laughs) is. We do love those. And on a scale of like... Sexy Waluigi. Yeah, I was going to say on a scale of one to sexy Waluigi, like how big a shift are we talking? Well, let's see. Let's find out. I am recommending a comic of sorts, but not the one you would have been expecting because I cheekily stuck that in earlier in the episode. I am recommending Things I Learned from Mario's Butt, a series of gaming <laughs> butt critiques by Laura Kate Dale, and it's illustrated by Zach Flavin. And uh, yeah, it's exactly what it sounds like. It has lots of excellent art of video game butts. <laughs> this is too soon after Tomb Raider, I can't cope. <laughs> Including, of course... The entire Mario cast. So there's Mario, Bowser, Luigi, and Wario. Bowser? Yeah. Bowser, Bowser butt. Yeah. I I didn't even know he had one. It's under a shell. <laughs> oh, the hardcover's only £17.55. Of course you're already Amazon. looking it up. <laughs> Jesus Christ, you'll see yes. it. Yeah, it's on Yes. Please do. It's... Oh, it's really hard for me to, like talk about any of this without spoiling stuff but just some of the some of the um like the this genuinely really well thought out critique somehow <laughs> sure <laughs> there's the science that supports solid snakes nerfed bunch <laughs> here's dummy thick <laughs> i was holding it together until then <laughs> what scientist has <laughs> played MGS and gone, That's you know what? Yes. <laughs> that buddy's nerf. Get my lab coat. I've got a butt to assess. I can send you guys some pictures. I need you to know no. that I've sat on this for so long. On the butt. So solid snake, apparently. <laughs> it's just... Oh my god. There's um, another article in here. 
um, exploring the detailed monster buttholes of Conan Exiles. Well, oh yeah, yeah, there's a lot of nudity in that game. Uh, uh, buttholes, just... specifically. <laughs> buttholes. I don't want to look at buttholes. <laughs> <laughs> the Crash Bandicoot series has a uh, I don't a need to know critique. that. Uh, uh, <laughs> That's why he wears baggy jorts. He doesn't want anyone to see. He's got a flat ass. <laughs> jorts. I... Uh, yeah. yeah, Pokemon, uh, Bloodborne, um, <laughs> Eldritch Horrors in your pants, <laughs> Animal Crossing. That's just Chip's dating history. Oh, this was worth it. I'm so glad I sat on this and kept this a secret. Oh, Jesus Christ. <sighs> so there you go. It is a book of... I know book what Caroline's critiques. getting for Valentine's Day. <laughs> <laughs> oh, fucking Christ. Oh, no. Well, I regret never getting my PhD now. <laughs> Dr. Butt. <laughs> Uh, so there we go <laughs> a solid <laughs> recommendation solid for sure <laughs> just really tight recommendation you know ah uh, yeah snug recommendation <laughs> pert actually let me just also i'll finish Pick. on this because i feel like this sells this more than i possibly could anyway which is the opening gambit on the back of the book have you ever wondered why some video game characters wear trousers and others don't I pondered the connection between no. the character's tone, muscular derriere, and their level of dexterity. What about the depth of a crack? The jiggle of a crack. <laughs> the depth of a crack. Hang on, I'll grab you room. When it comes to video game characters' designs, one of the most overlooked aspects <sighs> is the buttocks. I've always thought that. Uh, how often do we stop to really think about the meaning of the book? Well, I'm going to do and more so right? now. <laughs> Oh, Excellent God. book. 10 out of 10. No, 12 out of 10. It ascends. It's funny. It's like, I don't know, enlightening and well worth it. Well and worth it. A bit it. cheeky. Aye. A bit cheeky. <laughs> I have been your host. I have been Bash at Demonhead. Uh, that is my at on things uh, such as Twitch and Twitter. Chip, where can they find you? You can find my butt on Twitter, where I'm at with Chip <laughs> Thompson. And I am also on Twitch, where I will proudly display my... Uh, <laughs> uh, no, I no, won't. No, uh, <laughs> no. <laughs> uh, at Chip Thompson's thumbs. Uh, Becky? I am Becky Gracely on Twitter and Instagram, and my butt will be nowhere near any of them. <laughs> <laughs> and Andy? I am on Twitter at truly underscore defective, and... If you want to see my book, you'll have to subscribe to my OnlyFans. <laughs> <laughs> it's just Chip at the moment. Uh, Keep him company. <laughs> well, you got to support your parents. He's spending so much money, it's ridiculous. Stop! <laughs> we have been the one-up pod that is at 1UPPOD. And you can find us on Twitter, Instagram... And Twitch! Twitch, Twitch now! and on your podcast listener of choice presumably you already know that if you're listening to us right now please give us a like and a rate 
like you know if it's a nice one (laughs) (laughs) you're enjoying our shenanigans otherwise get a life and play video games and guys do you think we do you think we could have done that better yeah i definitely i think we can do better yeah i think there were some decisions made that we could uh redo yeah there's a lot i want a up this i don't know i've got no regrets but i'll defer to the group just go back a bit let's rewind Rewind. <laughs> Thank you for doing that because I realised I'm going to have to find the sound effects now. So. <laughs>